You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, episode 59, brought to you by Vessi's Seeds and Safer's Gardening Products. Hey everyone, it's Greg Otten here with the Maritime Gardening Podcast once again, and it's spring. And I thought today, despite the fact that it's not very springy outside, I thought I'd bring up a very springy topic, and that's the, the idea of having new ideas, how wonderful it is to have new ideas in how your garden's going to be this year. Some new scheme or trick or, or technique you're going to try and try to put that into action in your garden and, and all that anticipation. Is, is it going to work? Is it going to fail? Uh, the anxiety around that and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I thought I'd talk a little bit about that and how wonderful it is. And um, what got me started on this whole thing is I, I had a conversation um, um, through LinkedIn with an old friend, like a you know sometimes you just reconnect with someone you haven't spoken to since high school, and that was the case. I reconnected with an old friend that I hadn't talked to since high school, and he said, "Oh, you know what are you doing?" Blah blah blah. And he was, "Oh, I saw you on Facebook. You got this garden thing going on. You're talking about that sort of stuff." Oh, I tried it, but I, it was just too repetitive for me. Uh, I've got uh, no time for that. It's just too repetitive. You do the same thing every year. I don't see the point. And uh, I never really thought about gardening in that way. I, I've never ever found it repetitive personally. I mean, it's repetitive if you think of it in broad categories. You know, every year you plant stuff and you pull some weeds and you pick stuff. I guess if you look at it that way, um, devoid of context, I guess it is kind of repetitive. But that's not how I see it. I don't see it as those broad. I, I see every year as uh, I've never had the same garden from year to year every year the weather's different every year the growing conditions are different um, every year I try new varieties of things every year I try different techniques of things um, 45 46 quite soon in fact um, and there seems to be no end of new things to try new varieties to try new techniques to try I mean Seed producers are always producing new varieties of things, so that's, unless the world ends, there's always going to be new varieties of things to try. So right there, your garden is never going to be repetitive. There's going to be some things you try every year, or you grow every year because you like them, but uh, something like tomatoes for me, um, I, can, I've never, I don't think I've ever grown the same tomato from year to year. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, there's got to be a better tomato than that, right? There's so many varieties of them. Uh, even if I have a, like I, last year I grew a potato or a tomato, I think it was called Improved Starfire. It was really good tomato, produced really well. Do you think I'm planting it this year? No, like, oh, look, there's a new tomato. I have to try that. Never, ever seem to get bored of trying different kinds of tomatoes. Uh, sometimes I'm disappointed. Sometimes I'm very pleased. I think only if you're resigned to repetition is gardening going to be re repetitious for you. Um, or if you lack imagination in terms of how you go about your gardening. Um, there's always new ideas. There's things that just uh, come to you when you're either out in your garden or you're laying in bed thinking about stuff or you're, you're watching something that's related to gardening and you just have an insight. And of course, because we've got the internet and there's books and there's all kinds of different sources of information on gardening you can uh, through which you can gather new ideas. Um, there's the uh, ideas of others. And there's also 
being creative in terms of application. So you could see a particular application work for a particular kind of plant. Someone could be talking about something they do in their flower garden. And you could think, you know what, that would might work in my uh in my uh in my vegetable garden. I think I've told the story before about how the reason no-till gardening clicked for me. I watched a documentary on uh, it was called uh Back to Eden Gardening Film, I believe. I believe it's free on YouTube now. Um anyway, this guy's just talking about his garden and and how he you know, had wood chips down in his orchard, and then one day he just realized, hey, you know what, maybe this will work on my garden too. And uh, and he's showing his garden, and it looks amazing, and you're like, wow, you know, I sh if that garden looks pretty darn good, looks better than mine, um, I think I might give that a try. But the reason it clicked for me watching him was that I realized that I'd been doing a very similar thing myself. Um, I had a number of in my, my previous property I had a number of vegetable beds where I grew you know kale and beans and potatoes and all kinds of stuff like that but I also had uh, rose gardens uh, when I lived in the valley I don't have any roses here I really miss them but my property there was roses everywhere on my property and at certain points in the summer all you could smell when you went outside was this perfume smell it was beautiful different varieties of roses. I had wild roses. I had uh, what are they called? Tea roses. I had all these different kinds and uh, different ones would come in to bloom at different times and it was just beautiful, the smell of it. And I would always uh, mulch those rose beds. And if I had too many, I, back then I used to buy tomato transplants. I just buy them at a transplant store. That's an easy way to do it. a lot easier than growing them yourself. Um, so if I didn't have, if I had a couple extra transplants and I had no place to put them, I would just stick them in between my rose bushes. And the tomatoes that grew in between the rose bushes always outgrew the tomatoes in my vegetable garden. And back then I wasn't a, a no-till gardener. I wasn't using any sort of permaculture type thing. I mean, I would, uh, you know, I was using fairly natural amendments and I didn't use pesticides and I didn't use, uh, in terms of fertilizer, I didn't use fertilizer. Then I would just add leaves and things like that. So I you know I was halfway there. I just I was just trying I was basically being cheap. <laughs> I didn't have any at that point in time I didn't have any understanding of of um why uh, synthetic fertilizers are not necessarily good for your soil, they're not good for the organisms. I didn't have any understanding of any of that or any appreciation for it. Uh it just seemed uh more natural. Um, and certainly more inexpensive and it, for some reason it just there's a certain logic there to putting things that rot into the soil uh, leaves grass clippings and things like that uh, hay um, back then I could um, harvest uh, wild grasses that washed up on the shore I couldn't get seaweed I live very close to the water there but you really didn't get seaweed big piles of seaweed washing up in the shore and in that uh, area it's on the Bay of Fundy, for those that aren't from here, it's uh, highest tides in the world. It's kind of an interesting uh, ecosystem there, and there isn't really sea there is seaweed, but it's it's mostly this these uh, wild uh, I can't remember what kind of grass it is, maybe ryegrass or no rice. It's like a wild rice um, that grows on on the shore, and uh, it's not a rice that I don't think people eat, but certainly the animals like ducks and stuff like to eat it. 
but when there's a storm or whatever all, or at various times of the year all that grass just gets broken off and it's like a straw and there's piles of it all along shore and it's got little bits of seaweed and dead stuff and all kinds of things in it and uh, I would gather that by the truckload and, and use it as a mulch in my garden um, or, I, or I bury it or I mix it in or I used it as a mulch on my perennials like my uh, raspberries and stuff like that and uh, but I still was I don't know I think I think I was covering my soil a little bit but I wasn't doing it like wholesale like I do now but I watched that documentary and it just all clicked in that moment even though I've been half doing it by accident for years I hadn't really made the connections and that film just brought it all together for me and I realized what I've been doing by accident sometimes and the very following year, because it all clicked for me, I said, hey, I'm going to put that all into a design. I'm going to really think this through, and I'm going to learn more about this approach, this whole permaculture thing. And I'm going to put that into practice wholesale in my garden, because that's, that's what I've been fumbling around and doing by accident for years and getting better results and not even really uh, making note of it. So where am I going with all of this? Because I haven't really told you anything new if you've been listening since the beginning. Uh, so this year, what new ideas did I incorporate wholesale into my garden this year? Little things, uh, you know, I find with anything like this, it's if you're a gardener, you're uh, prone to doing things the same way every year. If something works, you hang on to it. And you're reluctant to try something new because what if it doesn't work? Then all that area that you devoted to that new technique, um, you've just lost the yield associated with that. Um, it's, there's nothing worse than July, August rolls around and you realize that the thing you tried was the dumbest idea you ever had. And you, you know, you're, you're going to get only half what you would have normally gotten. And you put all that time and energy into it. Now you have to wait an entire year. Uh, to have a decent garden because this year's garden sucks. Um, it's just not, uh, it's a really uh, uh, depressing uh, feeling. Of course, it is learning. So, I mean, it's, it's, you know, I don't think I've ever had a failure in my garden where I didn't learn something. Um, but one way to go about incorporating a new idea is to only half commit, right? Or do a tiny commitment to it. Just devote a tiny space in your garden to this new idea. And, just watch and see how it goes. Or maybe you devote a couple tiny spaces and you, you try the application in two slightly different ways just to see what happens, right? And then sit back and watch. And if it doesn't work, maybe it doesn't work because the thing just doesn't work. Or maybe it doesn't work because you made some mistake. I mean, you're watching someone else do it on YouTube or something, and you try what they did and it is a dismal failure. You think, well, either they're a complete fraud, right? Which is possible. Or it could be that what they did works where they are in their climate with their soil and all that sort of stuff. Or it could just be that it, there is a way for it to work where you are. You just have to do something slightly different than what they did. Or there was some special sauce um, that was uh, present in their application that's not present in yours. You just never know with these things. But for me, that's why it's never the same. It's never, ever repetitive if you're always trying uh, different tricks, different techniques. It's never, ever repetitive. So this year, I'm going to talk about two things I tried last year because I saw someone else doing it and also had fumbled around with it. And this year I decided to go a whole hog and really commit. I didn't commit my entire garden because 
Um, it just doesn't make any sense to commit my entire garden, but it's certainly half. And that is using various applications of plastic to preheat. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this before on the channel. This is not a plug. I have basically no relationship with this person. I've, I've contacted him on Facebook a number of times. And uh, he may loosely agreed to actually come on this podcast. And that would be a wonderful thing because the guy's uh, just a great guy. So there's a YouTube channel called One Yard Revolution. And really, there's only two YouTube channels I watch uh, on guard. I'm sure there's plenty of great ones. I'm just saying there's only two that I tend to watch. I only got so much time, and I really like these two guys. There's one called uh, One Yard Revolution. It's a guy named Patrick Dolan. Um, he has got a garden. It's very similar to the garden I used to have in Wolfville in size. He's got a backyard garden. He's a vegetarian. He grows a large proportion of his food there. He's in uh, near Chicago, so he's in Zone 5, so he's in a place that gets even colder in the winter than where I am. Of course, where he is gets a lot warmer in the summer because it's, it's very, for people across Canada, it's much more like Toronto or Southern Ontario. And I've been to Chicago in the summer, and it is crazy hot. Um, I spent two summers in Ann Arbor, Michigan, near Chicago, and uh, both those summers we take at least one day trip down to Chicago just to have a look around and do some touring and be tourists and all that sort of stuff. Um, anyway, uh, he, if you look at his videos in this, his entire garden is covered in plastic domes. I mean, there isn't, uh, I mean, I might be exaggerating, but I don't think I am. He covers everything in these domes, these uh, kind of cool looking domes he's made with PVC pipe and, and six mil poly, like the st stuff I have in my garden. And I always watch him and say, man, that's like, that's a little much. Um, but then you see him out there in uh, February and March, and he's like, hey, look, I just got some lettuce, and I'm making a salad, right? <laughs> You're like, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, now, one thing that's different where he is than where I am, and this is that, that special sauce. You have to be, you know, number one, just, just because you think isn't, something isn't going to work where you are doesn't mean it isn't, right? You've got to try, right? But number two, every place is different. Where he is... Even though his winter's colder than here, uh, it's not as foggy and overcast. I, I am right next to the Atlantic Ocean. So even though it's colder where he is, it gets more consistent sun than here. So if you've got a domed plastic hut over your garden and the sun's getting through, um, you're going to get a lot more heat going on in there, even th despite the fact that it's cold outside. If I've got a day in my bed, I've got some, I mean, so I've built... Uh, version of a hoop. He's got hoop houses in, in his uh, garden that I don't think would take the kind of, and I know Chicago is a windy city, but it's not on the Atlantic coast. Um, I honestly don't think what he's got back there would take the weather here. I really don't. Um, we can get you know just ridiculous violent weather here that's a little bit different. I, I could be wrong, but I look at the design of his hoop houses. They just don't look like they can take uh, <laughs> what we've got going on here. Um, so I, I built mine a little bit different. Also, mine are, I think, cheaper because <laughs> I'm cheap, cheap guy. Uh, mine are a bit lower. They're smaller, too. I want to be able to put them away. He completely dismantles his and, and puts them somewhere. Mine aren't dismantled. I just pick them up, and they're about the size of a canoe, and I just stick them in the woods behind my house, basically, and amongst the trees. Um, anyway, you look at this guy's results, and uh, it certainly is inspiring. So I tried a little bit of, you know, a handful of tricks like that last year, and I went a little bit more into it this year, and I didn't 
he has everything all covered at the end of uh, around you know end of December and leaves it covered all winter. I didn't do that this year. I just wasn't on the ball, and uh, I should have because it set things back. Um, nevertheless, um, that idea is a good idea, and I tried it a little bit last year, and this year I tried it on a much larger larger scale. If you've been watching my uh, YouTube videos, you'll see that I've got. Uh, a number of different applications, and I've tried it in different ways too. I didn't just do so. I saw his hoop houses, and then I, because I'm aware of this product called the wire remesh, I just you know got a video on how to make a small hoop house with a wire uh, remesh. If you go on my channel, um, I came up with an idea in my mind. So I'm watching someone else do something in a different, in, in one way, and I said, oh, I think I can do that in an even easier way to me anyway. Um, so I copied the guy, but not exactly, right? In a different application. Um, but in no time at all, you can slap together one of those in about you know 15, 20 minutes. Um, but it certainly works. I mean, I've got stuff germinating. I've got uh, kale, Swiss chard, onions. I got a number of things germinate already germinated under my hoopas. Nothing looks phenomenal. I mean, these, I'm talking about plants that are half an inch high. Uh, but if I planted those seeds anywhere else in my garden, they wouldn't be doing anything. I still have frozen soil in my backyard. Uh, so, you know, uh, that has definitely brought things along. And that's the other thing with using these various applications. The other thing I use in addition to the domes, and if you don't have space to store these things, and I know it's an issue for some people, another really simple way to do this is to just make a, a square or rectangle, whatever shape you need to fit on your bed. My beds are, oh, they're roughly 4 by 10. So I made these... Uh, rectangles that are about four by four. Just make a, a wooden rectangle, like a frame, like a picture frame, just using cheap one by three spruce, cheapest plumber you can buy. And then you staple a piece of six mil poly onto that. So, so it's just a, a one dimension or two dimensional rectangle, right, with plastic. And you just put that over your bed. You plant you plant your seeds and you put them and you put that over the bed to thaw it out ahead of time. So the beds that I had those on, they're all thawed completely. The beds that I didn't have on, they're they're just barely thawed, right? Um, also, when you when you plant, you put that it's clear plastic. You put that on, and people said, wouldn't you use black plastic? No, you want the sun to be. If it's black plastic, the sun will heat the plastic. And some of that heat will radiate into your soil. And I've tried these techniques, so I can tell you. Um, if it's black plastic, the sun will heat the plastic. And some radiant heat from the plastic will get absorbed by your soil. But if you use clear plastic, the sun heats the soil. Right? And then the soil will give off heat, and that will be trapped under the plastic, which will create a little microclimate underneath the plastic. So if you're trying to thaw your beds out or trying to get some heat going in there, that's the trick. And you can use those in different ways, too. Um, so use those to thaw the soil out so you can work it, so you can get your seeds planted. And then once you've planted your seeds, um, what I found is you, you put a tiny mulch. You, know, you put the seeds down, you cover them with a little bit of soil, and you cover them with a very faint mulch. And I've done this in various parts of my garden. I've, I've captured this on video a little bit this season. Um, and you're putting that mulch so that... The soil doesn't dry out. It holds a bit of more moisture that way. You put your seeds on. You put the soil over the seeds. You put a little bit of mulch down. You water the whole thing. You put your plastic rectangles over that. And then you just check it once a week. 
depending on how warm it is, right? Right now it's freezing outside, so you know, they're not going to be germinated in one week. They're probably going to take two or three weeks to germinate at this rate if it ever gets warm because it's getting down to below zero every night. And it's just slightly over zero during the day, and we don't even have consistent sun, although today was nice. Um, so you do that, and once the plants germinate, and this time of year you're planting cold-hardy plants, you move it. You take it off, and you put it somewhere else that you want to warm up. And you only plant the cold-hardy plants right now. But that's another great thing about using that approach. You can cheat. I've often said before that nothing's going to germinate in your garden. If you're planting stuff in the soil and you're not using any cheats, right? Um, nothing's going to germinate until it's warm enough for long enough for the seeds you've planted to be at the temperature they need to be with moisture for long enough to actually germinate. And different seed varieties have different requirements like that. Some of them need to be 5 degrees Celsius for a week or two. Some need to be 10 degrees Celsius for a week or two, and so on and so forth. They have different temperature needs, different moisture level needs, and so on and so forth. I would say that the bare minimum for just about any kind of seed you're going to plant in your garden uh, doesn't really occur in your soil until, as I've said before, you can hear the those peepers out at night. That there's these little tiny frogs that, that come out and mate around, I don't know, mid-spring, I would say. So, and I've had years, I mean, it never happens here. They don't, those don't even show up till a week or two from now. I'm recording this today. It's April 12th. And I've lived, where I, where I live here, which is in the Peggy's Cove sort of area, I've never heard the people here in mid-April. It seems to be more of a late April thing. Uh, but when I lived in, more inland, I guess, even though it's near the Bay of Fundy, it's not on the Atlantic coast. Um, this around this time of year is when the peepers would uh, start to make their song. And that's when you want to start putting seeds in the ground, when you can hear that sound. And there's other indicators too, but that's the most basic one. If you live somewhere where there's a swamp or a bog, or if it's something you notice that you hear in the evenings, um, that's a great indicator. There's other indicators too. I just that's the main one I use because that's one I'm aware of here. Wherever you are, um, just be aware of what's going on outside of you. Uh, outside, right? be aware of all those different kinds of indicators. A certain kind of uh, plant that pokes its head up through the soil. A certain thing that's going on. A certain bird that shows up, um, and so on and so forth. Right. Once you're noticing those things, that's when you get planting. But with this plastic trick, you can you can cheat that. You can start way ahead of time, and your garden will come in sooner. Same with uh, even later in the season. So normally, uh, something like a pumpkin or a squash, anything in that family. Uh, if I plant, I'm I'm speaking in general terms here. So dates never apply. It's always any date you give. When I give a date for planting something, I mean within two weeks of that, give or take, right? Two weeks before, two weeks after, depending on the year. Generally speaking, uh, I can't plant uh, squash-type plants until the uh, beginning of June here. And I've had years where I couldn't even plant them later. I've had years where I planted squash at the beginning of June and the seeds have rotted and died. And I've had to replant in late June. Um, so that's a real drag. And I've noticed the indicator is that uh, when I see the when a tulip has come up and the flower petals 
start to when the when the when the, when the tulip the tulip flower appears and the tulip flower starts the first tulip flowers start to degrade and fall apart when they're not pretty anymore um, that's when it's completely safe <laughs> to plant uh, squash and cucumbers and all this sort of stuff but if you're using this plastic trick you can completely cheat and start way ahead of that so uh, what you do is you, you whether you're using a dome or you're using one of those plastic with the dome is better because you get more time right but with the plastic thing as soon as the plant comes out of the ground as soon as you start seeing the plant come out of the ground you got to get the plastic off it's just there's no room for it to grow there's no space I'm, i suppose you could figure out some clever way to prop it up or put some sort of frame around it or whatever but generally speaking you don't have a lot of time but what you do is you, you put that plastic over the ground a couple weeks before you want to plant to warm the ground up right those seeds need like 16 degrees celsius constant to germinate and if it gets too cold uh, and they're wet they'll just die so you put the plastic over the ground let's say may 1st and i'm speaking from where i live in the world where you are if it's warmer or colder you're going to have to adjust that and you leave it on the ground for a week and let it just bake in the sun. Let the sun, I mean, the sun's crazy hot, right? <laughs> so <laughs> let the sun heat that bed up, heat up the soil, get some heat going on in there. Right? Don't plant anything, just let it cook for a week. And then take the plastic off, put your squash or cucumber seeds in or whatever, put the plastic back on, and you water it and put that plastic back on and leave it like that check it every don't let it dry out but check it every day or not every day but every let's say if you do that on a sunday check it on wednesday then check check it on wednesday to see if it's still moist and then check it the following weekend and after it's been down for one week and i'm talking may now you're gonna have to check it almost every day once you see them start to poke up you're gonna get that off unless you've got a dome um, but you'll find that they'll actually germinate and they'll actually grow if you've got a dome, you can do it very early because they've got space. They've got a little bit of real estate. They can go up. Uh, but even if you're using one of those flat rectangle things, you can still get things two, three weeks ahead of time. And that, that doesn't sound like much, but it it really makes a difference. I mean, it, it can help to accelerate your, your yield, your harvest, and that sort of stuff. And you may even get – you're just lengthening your growing season, so you're going to get more. Right, there's a reason that warm places are agricultural zones because they get better longer growing seasons. You get a longer growing season, you're going to get a better yield. So that's one trick or one idea that it was someone else's idea. I didn't come at it on my own, but in various, even if you uh, make little tiny plastic strips, I'll have to show these on a video, but all you do. You know, I tend to plant things in rows, rows that are about four feet long. My, my garden beds are usually about four by eight or four by ten, and I plant the rows perpendicular to the length of the box. And so I make these little things that are like, it's like two four-foot-long pieces of wood with a piece of plastic about, oh, I don't know, uh, nine inches wide between the two boards. So it's a, a narrow rectangle, I guess, right? you got two four-foot-long pieces of wood. They're about eight inches apart, and there's an eight-inch piece of plastic. An eight-inch by four-feet-long piece of plastic stapled onto that. And when you plant a row, you just pop that thing down over the row, 
and it warms the soil where those seeds are. Once you see the seeds, see the seeds appear, you just take it off and it rolls up and you put it away. And in the last years, right? I've got, I'm still using those in my garden. I've been doing that for a number of years now. Um, so, and they take up no space at all. So that's just the cheapest, simplest, easiest way to apply this this plastic acceleration technique to your garden. And I'll use that to germinate bean seeds, all kinds of different things. Um, it just gets your soil a bit warmer. It gets your soil. Think about when you're doing your your transplants um, indoors. Um, everything is germinating at room temperature or more, right? Everything's germinating at at least 20 degrees Celsius. But if you've got one of those grow up type setups with the lights and all that sort of stuff, it's probably more like 27 degrees uh, where you're doing your transplants indoors. So you can't create those exact same conditions, but if you've got some soil over your seed and you've got some plastic over that soil, um, it's certainly going to get a lot warmer than 5 and 10 degrees, right? So it'll move things along very quickly. The other idea I had, and this is just something I came to on my own, and I don't really recall where I was when it came to me, but it was so, it made so much sense. It was so simple, and I don't know why I hadn't thought of it before. I was thinking about how difficult it can be to source wood chips. If you watch the Back to Eden Garden film or or you just watch a whole bunch of different YouTube content, YouTube uh, personalities, they make it sound like it's there's uh, hundreds of arborists and tree services just dying to give you their wood chips. Um, I have not found that to be the case. I've got a guy that gives me wood chips. I have to pay for them. And I called probably 10 different arborists in the Halifax area and only two called me back and only one of them <laughs> actually gave me wood chips and I had to pay. <laughs> so, you know, you watch some of these uh, 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 permaculture videos, like, oh, they're just, they'll do anything to give it to you. Maybe in an urban setting where there's a lot of uh, that sort of thing. Maybe Halifax is a unique case. Um, but I find that I have to beg, borrow, and steal to get these things. They're very difficult. I found. I'm not saying don't try. Get on your phone and call. And, and you know, if you're, if you're, uh, if the stars align for you, you can get just like I have this year. I made a little short video that on YouTube. Uh, a good. I don't know what I got. Maybe six cubic yards of wood chips uh, delivered. But I, I had to pay for those, right? Um, I was thinking, what about someone with a relatively small garden? They don't want a dump truck load of wood chips in their driveway. They don't want to deal with that. Or they got a bad back or something like that. What does that person do? And, and you know, what if um, they don't have a, a bag on their lawnmower? I mean, uh, using grass clippings is a good one. Um, and they don't want to rake their whole lawn or whatever. And they want all that grass to go back to the lawn. Or what if they can't source this? Or what if they can't sort that? What do you do? What's the alternative, right? And uh, I don't know why, but I just probably because I use it in my wood stove all the time, I just started thinking cardboard is wood chips, right? I mean, it's they come from trees. <laughs> they take the tree and they shred it all up and they turn it into cardboard somehow. I don't quite understand that process, but cardboard is wood chips. What, what on earth is it if it isn't wood chips? It's wood. Right? It's wood that's been highly processed. And if you put cardboard on the ground, it gets eventually gets eaten by worms. So cardboard is worm food, right? Whatever glue they use in it, the glues the worms eat the glue, so the glue can't be that bad if the worms are eating it. If it's worm food, 
it's a good mulch because it's going to come out of the worm and be gold in your soil. And does cardboard do all the things a mulch does? Well, let's think about it. Does cardboard prevent the soil from drying out? Absolutely. Right? It's keeping the sun off the soil. It keeps It's basically completely shading the, the soil. Um, so you got your moisture retention. Does it let the rain through? Yes. If anything, it sort of channels it into where you've planted your, your, your plants. It's going to feed your soil. What do you need for a mulch? You need it to feed your soil. You need it to retain moisture. It's going to do those things. Moreover, what's another thing mulch does is suppress weeds. Well, what on earth suppresses weeds better than cardboard? Nothing can get through it. And that gives you another advantage where other mulches might not have. And how you can supercharge it. So, number one, to source. How do you source cardboard? Uh, just go find a dumpster and they're full of cardboard, right? Not a problem. Easy to source. Any If you've got a, access to a dumpster or you, you can just take a walk down your street and your neighbors are throwing away cardboard all the time because everything people buy comes in a cardboard box. Uh, if you buy your groceries at one of the grocery stores where they have all these cardboard boxes at the front that you can put your groceries in, that's cardboard. There's so many. I mean, it's the most ubiquitous source of free wood chips I can think of. So easy to source. You might be able to just get it on your own street or otherwise. Um, at the very worst, just go behind any. Uh, I get, <laughs> I get mine at the drugstore down the road. Right. <laughs> um, so the other thing is, if you're getting your cardboard, um, the way you lay it down is you lay it down in strips between your rows, right? You're going to have a row where the soil is bare and maybe a row that's maybe three inches wide and then a strip of cardboard that's about eight inches wide or however, whatever width you want between your rows. I tend to plant things about uh, eight to nine inches apart. So I want cardboard that's in strips like that. And sometimes you can find boxes that are perfectly, you don't even have to cut them. They're like just the right shape, right? If you're looking for that sort of thing. Um, I think this weekend I'll, I'll or maybe, uh, I don't know what, what very soon I'll shoot some, uh, I'll shoot a short video showing how I've done this. See if, if what I'm saying isn't, if you, if you can't have a picture of this in your mind's eye. Um, but you, you lay it down like that in strips and then you have a little space between each strip where you're going to plant your, uh, you know, put your seeds and, and, and so on. But another thing you can do if you are concerned that the cardboard isn't feeding your soil enough, um, you can put stuff under the cardboard that will feed your soil. Right? A, you could put some sort of uh, seed there that's going to germinate and die. Right? Whatever is going to germinate under the cardboard is going to germinate and die. So you could put clover seeds there, or, you know, some sort of um, quick uh, germinating seed. Right? Anything. Right? Any leftover old seed you have, but maybe you want something with a nitro, a nitrogen fixing a capacity. I don't really know if it's going to do much of that. Cause whatever seeds going to germinate there is going to die in about a week or so. Um, anyway, that's an option um, if you don't have large bulks of anything. Um, you can also put different kinds of manure under the cardboard. Whatever weed seeds are in that manure are going to germinate and die under the, under the cardboard. And they're just going to feed your soil. They're all going to become worm food. Um, you can also put uh, grass clippings, right? You can put grass clippings under the manure or under the, under the cardboard. Um, so then you've got a bit more uh, nitrogen, right? Your cardboard's the brown. You want to, maybe you're concerned it's not adding enough nitrogen to your soil. Well, just put some 
grass clippings underneath the cardboard. There's your nitrogen, right? You can even put some grass clippings on top of the cardboard to help um, displace or absorb water when it rains and also to sort of help hold it in place. Um, and another thing you can put underneath the cardboard is your compost. So let's say you've got a bucket of compost, kitchen waste, right? Stick it in the blender, <laughs> shred it all up, and then you can just put that on the soil where the cardboard's going to go. And that's just going to feed the worms, right? It's, it's all going to break down very quickly under the cardboard. So again, you're adding that, that nutrient uh, value to your soil. You're turning your garden bed into a giant compost bin, and the plants are going to benefit from all of that. So that's the idea. And I'll shoot some video to, um, to give you a picture of that if it's not making sense. But think about that. Think about cardboard. If, if you've been listening to me and it's like, oh, well, Greg, I just can't source those mulches. You're, you're being ridiculous. That, that's not going to work for everybody. That's possible. But what about cardboard? I tried it this year. It's not as pretty, right? It's, it's pretty in your garden to have wood chips or hay or seaweed. It's nice. The cardboard looks like a, like a garbage garden, <laughs> kind of, right? Um, but my opinion is, who cares if it works, right? I don't care. The plants certainly. When your plants are two feet high, <laughs> are you going to care? And the other thing you do is that in between the, the, the strips of cardboard where you actually have your seeds planted, you put a very light mulch over the soil where the seeds are planted. Right, so your seeds will germinate, and if it's a light layer, layer of mulch, I'm talking like half an inch of whatever you've got, hay, seaweed, um, shredded up leaves, whatever, you put about just half an inch light mulch over where the, the strip where the seeds are, that'll keep the soil from drying out where the seeds are. Right, you still, that way your soil is still covered. Um, and it'll also uh, sort of help glue everything together and hold the cardboard down and I mean, if you're worried about the cardboard blowing away I mean the way I'm applying this here is I put the cardboard down and the seeds and then I put the plastic rectangles over top so it's, and I'm going to put rocks on top of the plastic rectangles so it all sort of holds itself together but if you were doing this without any plastic you just put rocks and sticks and stuff like that on top of the cardboard I think over time as it gets wet and as the rain gets on it and all this sort of stuff the cardboard will sort of glue onto your soil just that just kind of happens, right? Um, and you can also put mulch on top of the cardboard, right? If you get some grass clippings or leaves or, or dead plant material, whatever you can get your hands on, right? Um, you can put that stuff on top of the cardboard, surely, and that'll help hold it down too. But you can also just put rocks and sticks and whatever you can, you know, uh, rotten wood, whatever you can do to hold that down. But what a simple way to come come at the mulch um, problem or at the mulch issue from from a different angle, right? Um, so I'm trying that this year. I'm talking about something I haven't done before. So I mean, I've I've certainly used mulch or I've used cardboards in gardens to repress weed, weeds, but I've not used it in this particular way, using it like a mulch layer. Uh, but I completely think it'll work. Because um, uh, why why wouldn't it, right? I think the only reason people don't do it is that we often want our gardens to be pretty. And we don't think of things like that. We don't think of using trash from a dumpster <laughs> as a as a soil amendment. But why not, right? Why? I mean, think about it. I use uh, manure in my garden. That's that's trash from from <laughs> from the back end of a horse, right? <laughs> so uh, I think sometimes we just uh, 
get locked into uh, particular ways of thinking and it's hard to break out of them. There's no reason cardboard uh, isn't a perfectly fine mulch alternative. Um, and I'm sure there's lots of other ones out there too. And if you're um, interested in the comment section uh, for this podcast, anyone that's got some ideas to alternate. I've done a number of, I've, I've done uh, podcasts on mulches and I've done YouTube videos on mulches, but I've never talked about cardboard. And I actually think it's, it's un completely underrated. I think I want to try a lot of things in my garden with cardboard this year and see how it works. So I hope you enjoyed that episode. I hope it gave you some, some things to think about, some new ideas, some things to try this year. Um, that's the wonderful thing about gardening is always some new harebrained scheme, some new idea to try. That's what I love about it. It really suits my personality, and it's never boring for me. And uh, if it's been boring for you, try something new. <laughs> try something new this year, even if you don't have to go whole hog. And I actually wouldn't recommend it. I'd say try, just take a corner of your garden and try something a little bit different and see what happens. That's fun. It's it's you know it'll make you feel like a kid again. You're playing, right? That's that's the adult version of playing, trying new things. Right? So until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for listening.